You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. At the very beginning of the Bible, we see God's good vision for the world, creation in harmony with humanity, and humanity in harmony with God. Join us for our series, Sacred, Genesis 1 and 2. Now, if you have not been with us for a long time, uh, we have been going through a series called Missio Day, looking at the book of Genesis. And what we have done at this point is we've gone back to a familiar passage that we have already talked over, but we're going to look over this passage more with a microscope um, to look more intently on what God has to say to us in regards to um, the abilities of work and vocation, of work and vocation. You know, recently I've been reading a good book instructed by my wife. She's always encouraging me to read things outside of the theological realm. So I decided, and she encouraged me to read this book. It's called Sparked, Uh, Discover Your Unique Imprint for Work That Makes You Come Alive. It's by my cousin, Jonathan Fields. That's really not my cousin. Um, But it's been a great book to read and to read, um, to, to discover um, the, the, the beauty of this book. The premise is this. <clears throat> the premise of the book is that we all have a certain imprint for work that makes us come alive. Now, listen, I'm not talking about what you do. I'm talking more about why you do it. You don't necessarily have to get paid for it, but you enjoy doing it. It brings life to you. Many of us, unfortunately, are stuck in jobs that just don't bring us life. They don't bring us the joy or satisfaction that God would intend for us to have in our vocations. So maybe let's take a time to think through ourselves. Man, what, what makes you come alive in work? What type of work causes you maybe to come alive when you get to do certain things? Where do you feel the affirmation, the love, the joy and pleasure of God in your life in regards to work. Now, with this book and every good book, right, they have an assessment. So I took this assessment and it it concluded that my spark type was the sage. And it described me as the following. As a sage, you love teaching or uh, teaching or illuminating is your call. You live to share ideas, knowledge, and experience with others in a way that lifts them up and leaves them changed. That's why I guess I'm a pastor, right? Um, But I love this book because it just helps you to see not just, again, not just what you do, but why do you do it? What makes you come alive? What what aspects of your job actually brings you the most joy, the most happiness, and the most fulfillment? You know, last week we concluded our time providing the following application points. We gave these three points. We said God initiated work from the very beginning— Therefore, work is not evil. We said that God is a ruthless and relentless worker, meaning that work is both beneficial and necessary. And thirdly, we said that God invites us to work alongside him, which means that work actually glorifies our God. Today, we'll further explore the notion of work and how it relates to God's cultural mandate. More specifically, we'll explore the following themes— our sacred mission, our sacred responsibility, and how God calls us to fulfill our sacred mission and our sacred responsibility. 
Will you pray with me? Father, we do love you and we thank you. We thank you, God, that you've given us the ability to work, to cultivate, and to make more from what you have already provided. And God, I ask that even in today's sermon, God, that you would allow us to come alive, that you would remind us of what makes us come alive in our work, that God, you would press the buttons of our passions and remind us, God, of how and why you've created us in uniqueness and, and with the beauty that points to the God, our Savior. So God, we ask that you would help us in this way. Help us also, God, to repent of ways in which we have um, tried to use work as a means to justify ourselves apart from you. Grow us in the grace and knowledge of Christ, our Savior, today. May his name be glorified. May his word, may his word and may his son be exalted. And may many come to a saving knowledge as a result of our time together this morning. As always, God, take the little I have, make much of it, glorify yourself in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, Elmo Bruner, in his book, The World, The Word and the World, was written in 1931. And this is what he says about the church's mission. He says these words. He says, the church exists by mission, just as fire exists by burning. Where there is no mission, there is no church. And where there is neither church nor mission, there is no faith. I love Genesis 2.15 because it clearly states our sacred mission. Listen to the words spoken of us this morning, over, this, uh, over us this morning. It says, the Lord God took the man and placed him in the garden even Eden to work and watch over it. Last week, we really focused on this aspect of placement meaning that this Hebrew word for God placed him in the garden signifies that God had placed Adam in the garden not for toil and not just for sweat, but as a place for rest, for rejuvenation and maybe even reprieve. He says here, though, but he gives him two specific tasks. He tells him that he needs to work or to cultivate, to dress or to serve, and then to watch over. This word watch over can mean to tend to, to keep up, or to conserve. So according to the cultural mandate, our sacred mission is thus. It is to build beautiful and beneficial things. This is what God has called us to. He's called us to build beautiful and beneficial things. So how are we to accomplish this? Well, he tells us one way, we're to work. Again, this Hebrew word work means to tend, to serve, to dress, or to cultivate one's land. In other words, God is instructing Adam to make more from what God has already provided. In other words, he's telling him to cultivate and to develop the resources that I've graciously given to you. You know, this is much like we see this in our world a lot of times, but a lot of times we kind of kind of gloss over it, if you will. You know, this aspect of cultivating and developing the resources that God has graciously given to us is much like the awe of holding a newborn baby as a first-time parent. When you get to hold a baby for the first time, and maybe you weren't a parent, maybe you're a niece or a nephew, maybe you're a grandparent, but when you get to hold a newborn baby, it's almost like you can see the, the hope of that little baby's future within the very palm of your hand. You have hopes and aspirations for how this child will grow and develop under your care and even under your supervision. 
It's also much like starting a workout plan without knowing or experiencing the results, but yet you still go through it. It's much like opening a newly purchased bag of Lego pieces before you start or get started with any of the instructions or even complete the task at hand. For those who like to cook, it's like going to Trader Joe's and buying specific ingredients even before you make that gourmet meal for your family or your friends. For many of our most, most recently married couples, it's, it's, more, it's a lot like standing at a wedding altar, professing your vows to one another before family, friends, and God, but not clearly knowing what life entails in the coming days, weeks, months, and maybe even years. It's a good reminder for us, that again, that our mission, our sacred mission to work is significant because it comes from God. And if you remember from last week that we mentioned that our God-initiated work from the very beginning, God is not a slothful God that calls us to do things that he himself does not do. God invites us to use our abilities to expand beyond what he's provided. God invites us to use our abilities to expand beyond what he's provided despite the presence of sin and brokenness in our world. This, in the nutshell, is the essence and meaning of what the cultural mandate entails. It means taking what God has provided and making more of it despite the obstacles, despite the trouble and even the brokenness that God, that this world offers us through sin and destruction. Notice with me that working the ground is a stewardship of what's been entrusted to us, that we are to work where God has placed us. And I think this is a special word for some of us even now who may be thinking about maybe relocating or moving. Listen, I'm all about that if God calls you to that. But listen, if God has not called you to that, then what I would encourage you to do, as a good friend of mine used to say with, when I used to work with him in Christian Union, is to grow deep roots where God has placed you. <laughs> Learn to grow deep roots where God has placed you, knowing that God has not placed you here on accident. He has not placed you here by mistake. Grow deep roots looking to be faithful to God. And I love our family's definition of faithfulness because we tell it to our kids all the time. We share with them time after time that faithfulness is not always being the best. But faithfulness is doing the best with that which God has given and blessed you with. It's doing the absolute best with what God has given you. Not in comparison to anyone else. Not in comparison to your wife. Not in comparison to your boss. Being faithful is understanding what God has given me and using what God has given me to the best of my abilities, to the glory of his name, for the furthering of his kingdom. You see, one of the greatest realizations for us as Christians is that God has called us to work with our hands with our minds and with our strength in order to make more, not less, within his creation. Now, someone may be saying right now, Pastor James, I'm concerned because whenever I focus on work, whenever I focus on trying to get things done, it usually leads me towards 
legalism. So how can I work without being tempted towards legalism? Well, I love what author and pastor Tim Keller says about this. He says this. He says, legalism is doing something in order to earn your salvation, but discipline is doing something that's good in and of itself. Let us be careful not to to confuse or to try to intersect the definitions between legalism and discipline. And I love this because, in other words, what since Eden was not a finished product, and remember, God had placed Adam into the garden that was not finished. So who was to finish the work? Of course, it had to be Adam. And since Eden was not a finished product, God graciously invites Adam to look at what he's been entrusted with and ask himself this question, how can I get this to work better? How can I grow this to be more? How can I allow this and cultivate this to glorify God even more? Now, I know some of my Indiogram number three threes out there are getting really excited right now. If you don't know what Indiogram number three is, it's the achiever. It's the one who gets things done. And we, listen, this world would be in a bad place if we didn't have those people in our lives. But listen, it's, listen, it's not just about getting things done. And it's not just about working hard. Notice with me in verse 15, God's second command of our sacred responsibility. It says, then God took the man and placed him in the garden, yes, to work. But also, what else did he call him to do? And to watch over it. This word here of watch over can also be translated, understood to be conserve, to conserve it. In other words, Adam and Eve were to work with the garden's best interest in mind. Not just their own best interest, but they were to work for the garden's best interest in mind. Notice what God doesn't say here. God doesn't say, Adam, go into the garden, work it, and exploit the garden. He doesn't tell Adam to take whatever you need from it and consume more than you need. God also doesn't say to Adam, Adam, go into the garden, work it, and elude the garden. He doesn't tell him to neglect the garden and and do whatever he desires. Finally, God does not say to Adam, don't go into the garden and eradicate the garden. Don't destroy it. But what God calls Adam to is the same thing that God calls us to. He says, Adam, go into the garden, work it, and not exploit it, not elude it, don't eradicate it, Adam, but embrace the garden. Embrace the garden. Cultivate the garden to be more than it was originally. Notice with me God's gracious invitation to us this morning. (laughs) That God graciously invites us into a posture of cultivation and not one of consumption. I'm going to say that one more time. That God graciously invites us into a posture of cultivation and not just one of consumption. You see, in the Old Testament, to watch something meant to guard and to protect it. 
And this guarding and protecting was not meant to, to look like or resemble Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. If you haven't seen that, go Google that later. It's a pretty, pretty awesome movie. At least I think so. But we're not to guard it like we're the temple of doom, meaning that we're to guard God's garden from, from those, the, the scary and e- uh, evil and greedy intruders. No, this guard and protect more has in mind of a grandmother who patiently waits 20, maybe even 30 years to pass down a precious heirloom to her grandchildren. It more looks like a father giving his daughter a promise ring on her 14th birthday. It looks like an older sibling looking after the well-being of his or her siblings in their parents' absence. It looks like a mother anxiously watching over her children at a busy and overcrowded playground. And it most looks like a diligent soldier keeping watch over the main interests of the city's gates. You see, God has called us as cultivators and not simply as consumers. To guard and protect is to protect something, not just from people who may have an onslaught towards something, but we're to protect something for the advancement and for the enjoyment and the preservation of it to the glory of God. As children of God, as as men and women, as servants of the Most High King, we don't come to take. We come to bless. We don't come to blame. We come to build. We don't come to be served. We come to serve and to be servants of all. We don't come to demand or request our way. We come to renew and restore God's wonderful earth, despite the brokenness of sin and the despair that surrounds us. Essentially, we're called to guard and to protect. We're we're called to guard and protect the work that God has entrusted to us, to not be neglectful. So why is this important? Why is it important to guard and protect the work that God has entrusted with us? Well, look at with me in Genesis 2.17. Genesis 2.17 says it quite clearly. It says, God's instruction to Adam at this time, it says, if you eat of its fruit, talking about, he, he says, if you eat of its fruit, you shall surely die. He says, you shall surely die. So since that Infamous day when Adam and Eve went astray. Each of us are destined to die. It's inevitable. It's unavoidable. And it's unassailable. Each of us, we're going to die at some point because of the consequence of our sins and the sins that precede us through Adam's and Eve disobedience. Now, Church family, I say this to you this morning, not to cause grief or despair, but I do say this to you this morning as a means of awareness that people will live beyond us, be it our children, 
our friends, children, or simply the next generation in our communities. And as Christians, we are to seek and embrace a generational perspective for all. We are not just to think about ourselves and what we can glean out of our times on the earth, what we can take, what we can can consume. Instead, God has called us to be, again, take the posture of cultivation. Take the posture of looking beyond ourselves and caring for the world, knowing that although we won't be here forever, someone will have to swim in the oceans and the lakes. Someone will have to breathe the air. Someone will have have to participate in the receive uh, the hospitals that we leave behind, the laws that we enact or don't enact. Someone will have to follow behind us. I love how the psalmist says it in Psalm 145, one through four, says, I exalt you, my God, the King, and I will bless your name forever and ever. I will bless you every day. I will praise your name forever and ever. The Lord is great and highly to be praised. His greatness is unsearchable. One generation will declare your works to the next and proclaim your mighty acts. In other words, here at Soldier Church Carlisle, I want us to be a church that's committed to leaving our community, to leaving our neighborhoods, to leaving our families better than we found them. Amen. More beautiful, more abundant, more built up. You know, yesterday we had our fall festival and it was a great turnout. If you were a part of the fall festival anyway, providing candy, could you just raise your hand for me really quick? If you were part of it, raise them nice and high so we can see. Thank you. Can we give, let's give a round of applause for those. Thank you for being a part of that as best you can. If you prayed for us, it was a great event. And yesterday after we came home, despite the rain and despite all the cloudiness that was there, uh, my youngest son looked at me and said, dad, that was the best event ever. That was a highlight of my day. And I said, man, okay, tell me more. And he was just telling me about, of course, the games and things of that, and that nature. But you know what also he shared with me? He shared with me how he saw different families come together. He saw the laughter and the joy. He saw the service. Now, I'm speaking for him. He's seven years old. But <laughs> he didn't, you know, if he can say all this, he probably should be applying to Harvard right now, right? If that's seven years old. But in his own little words, what he was sharing with me is that he saw the unification of God's church. He saw us coming together and working to an intended end to serve not just ourselves, but those who are around us. You see, that is what we're talking about when we talk about cultivation and not consumption. Not making this world, and dare I say, not making this church all about us. What we want how we feel, what we need, but coming together as a body and having our focus on the cause and purposes of Christ in the community to share his gospel, to share his love, to share his compassion with those who might not know him, but can know him by experiencing us. Man, what a beautiful gift that is. What a beautiful gift it is to live and have a purpose that extends beyond yourself, that doesn't just stop 
where the buck stops here, right? My, my, my pleasure, my priorities, what, what I want, what I desire. This is what God has created us for. He's created us for cultivation. He's created it for us to, to make more out of what he's provided, to take the brokenness that you've experienced in your own family and maybe your husband has experienced in his own family and bring that together in order that Christ may be glorified for your children to have experiences that you long to have as a child, but maybe you couldn't have had. If God was speaking here today, he would look at you and say, my child, I love you. He probably would say two things. One, take inventory of what you have. And two, be faithful (laughs) to me by doing the best you can with what I provided. Don't look to your neighbor. Don't look to the Joneses. Don't look to TikTok, Facebook. Definitely don't look at Facebook, y'all. Come on. (laughs) Nobody's life is real on Facebook. But do you know what this looks like? Can I encourage you for a moment? You know what this looks like? Because some of you are doing it right now. You just don't notice that you're doing it. You know what this looks like? You know what this posture of cultivation looks like? It looks like a roommate who prays over his or her roommate in the middle, middle of the night when they're sick and they're ailing in their bed. It looks like a husband taking care of his sick wife who's been sick multiple times within a month. It looks like a father blessing his children in bed while they sleep at night. It looks like a mother kissing and consoling her child as they have a scraped knee. It looks like a church Providing hope to a poor and marginalized community by hosting over 300 guests with free, a free family fun event. Family, church family, this is what it looks like. And church family, can I also say in the same breath, this is what we're doing by God's grace. So let me ask you, how would your posture change if you embraced your sacred, your sacred responsibility as God's image bearer? How might that affect the the way you approach being a member even at this church? How might this even affect the way you approach your relationships, your jobs, your home, your neighborhood? Let me offer a few pastoral suggestions. Perhaps, if you're struggling with this, perhaps, and if this was true of us embracing the sacred responsibility as God's image bearer, then perhaps we could come to participate and bless rather than evaluate and critique. Perhaps we could come to sing and to worship and not simply just to be, sit here and be entertained by those who are on stage. Perhaps we could come looking for someone to Perhaps you could come look, instead of looking for someone to encourage you, maybe you could be the first one to encourage someone else. Perhaps you could come to church to be a warm and hospitable presence of God for others and not practice what I like to call selective warmthness, where we're only warm to those whom we already know 
or feel comfortable with. So someone might be asking, hey, Pastor Fields, how do I discern the ways in which God has called us to work and to watch? How do I do this? Well, to answer this question, I want to go to another an encounter that Jesus had in Matthew 22. You know, in Matthew 22, a religious leader asked Jesus a very important question. He asked this question, what is the greatest commandment in the law? And given the Jewish cultural context, the teacher is essentially asking Jesus, what's the most important thing about someone? Jesus' answer is simple, yet it's profound, as it always is. Matthew 22, verses 35 through 40 says, love the Lord your God with all your hearts, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Notice with me that the essential thing that God created us for and expects from our lives is first that we would love and pursue him wholeheartedly, and second, that we would extend the love we find in him to others. Love God, love people. That's the fundamental call of Jesus. But much like mathematical concepts, <laughs> this is so simple to understand, but it could be very hard to apply. I love John 17 because Jesus goes on to talk about this in more detail. In John 17, we're reminded that we're created for relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Listen to Jesus' prayer in John 17. He says, now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I have given them the glory you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me. May they be brought to complete unity to let the world know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. I have made you known to them and will continue to make you known in order that the love that you have for me may be in them and I myself may be in them. You see, Jesus' purpose in coming was to follow, hum allow humanity to experience the self-giving love present between himself and the Father. Thus, he prays that our response would likewise be to pursue self-giving love and service to other such, such that we would know the life that comes when we willingly give ourselves away. I like what Ben Witherington says about this, New Testament scholar. He says this in his book. He says, it is a task of all human beings to love God with our whole heart and to love our neighbors as ourselves. These tasks are one job or job one, excuse me, for all those created in the image of God. Second, and most, more specifically for Christians, it is our honor to be tasked with making disciples of all nations. Any other task, jobs, or work we undertake must be seen as subheadings under these primary lifelong tasks. You know, in God, Oz Guinness's great book, his most excellent book, The Call, he provides a clear clarification for us by giving us definitions of what he calls a primary call and secondary call. He defines the primary call as this. He says, our primary call as, as followers of Christ is to him, by him, and for him. First and foremost, we are called to someone, not to something, or to somewhere. 
Our secondary call, considering who God is as sovereign, is that everyone everywhere and everything should think, speak, live, and act entirely for him. We can therefore properly say as a matter of secondary calling that we are called to homemaking, whether the practice of law or to art or to history. Notice with me the distinction that Oz Guinness makes in regards to the primary secondary call. He he helps us to see that our primary call, our identity, is always built upon our our, excuse me, our secondary calling, our function is always built upon our primary calling, our identity. And we've seen this and say this a million times at our church, that our identity precedes our function. That our identity precedes our function. That our identity as children of God precedes our function as children of God. And what Oz Guinness is getting at is he's helping us to understand that our primary call is always to love God with our whole being. It's to see him and to know him. You know, if this question was taken even more seriously, especially within the culture of our church, the first question that people would ask you is not, what do you do for a living? Because if the first question they want to ask you is, what do you do for a living? It always points to your function. What do you do in order that you are important? The question that we need to ask ourselves and even talk through is how are you living out that your identity as a child of God? How are you living that out? How are you experiencing God as father? This next weekend, we're actually going to do a whole conference on God as our father. So men, if you have not signed up, please make sure to do so. But the reason why we're talking about God as our Father is, again, we're trying to make sure to put our primary calling first. Our primary call is to God. It's to his glory and his goodness. It's to submit submit ourselves to the authority and sovereign care of God, our King. That's our primary call. Our secondary call is where we do it. Our secondary call is, hey, I live out my love for Jesus as an accountant. I live out my love for Jesus as a teacher. I live out my love for Jesus as a homemaker. I live out my love for Jesus, and I haven't found a place to do that right now, but I am a loving mother, father, husband, grandmother, grandfather, whatever it may be. It doesn't always have to be connected to a function in order for you to have your importance. Our importance is found in in being called and being adopted As children of the Most High God, first and foremost, remember our identity precedes our function. Ephesians 2 has it right, right? When it says, for by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk therein. It's a good reminder for us that our good works are the natural outflow of our salvation. That good works actually flow out of us because of our salvation in Jesus, not in order that we might have salvation in Jesus. Church family, if you don't get anything, I hope you hear this, that you are created in Christ Jesus for good works. That you are created in Christ Jesus for good works. Let me say that again. You are created in Christ Jesus for good works that he has prepared for you 
beforehand. If God would take the time to share with you everything that he's prepared for you, it would blow your mind. You can't handle it. And that's okay because he can and he understands. So instead of giving you the full gamut of everything that your life entails from beginning to end, A to Z, what God does most often is he leads us much like car headlights on a car, on a car vehicle. He gives us just enough to see to keep on moving in that direction. He doesn't illuminate the entire road for you. And if you're demanding for God to illuminate the entire road for you, I'm sorry, but you're not God. He is. And the way that God operates is that he gives us just enough to see his faithfulness, his goodness, to know his character, to know that we're on the right road and we're headed in the right direction so that our faith would be in him and not in the future plans that he has for us. You know something about the human soul is that if God showed you everything that he had in store for you, it would quickly take our eyes off God and quickly on those plans. Because I know it would for me. And in God's goodness, in order to guard and protect you, he only gives you enough to see him, his goodness, his faithfulness, and his kindness. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and thank you. We praise you that you are a good God who's more than trustworthy in our lives. Thank you that you have called us as your people to work, to cultivate the resources that you've given to us to make more of it, to make it better than it was originally given to us. God bless the work of our hands. I pray a blessing even over the people under the sound of my voice now that you would bless the work of their hands, Father. That what seemed to be hard and tedious, what seems to be unmovable, insurmountable, God, that by the power of your spirit and for the glory of your name, God, you would allow your spirit to intervene where their strength lacks. God, I also ask that you help us to guard and protect, that you would see the resources, the people you've placed in our lives, the things you've given us as valuable. God, may we guard and protect them. God, would you help us to be faithful, especially in the little things, the unknown and unseen things, God. Grow us in this way. Lastly, Father, but most importantly, I do pray for salvation. Pray, God, that you would allow us to see that you are a God who sees and redeems those who are far from you. That despite the separation that sin has created, There's no chasm too big that the blood of Christ and the cross of Calvary cannot intercede between. So Jesus, we ask, Lord, that you will be exalted in this place. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would convict hearts and minds. And you allow, Lord, confession in your son to be made known even now. That they will repent of their sins and confess Jesus as Lord, seeing his sacrifice as being the means for their righteousness before you. As always, we do thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville. 
and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.